0: What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages nine to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. I am so pumped for you to meet today's guest, Matt Drinkon. I love this guy. He is one of the most authentically optimistic human beings I have ever met. After speaking with him, I believe this optimism comes from him living a life of offense, meaning that he is, with daily action living a life of honor, appreciation, listening, and adding value. Now, those four words I just listed are all outward focused, thinking about the, the person you're speaking with, the person you're interacting with, which is offense versus living a life of defense, where you are really thinking inwardly when you are communicating or being around other people. My friends, get ready to learn to play offense and live an optimistic life. Enjoy meeting my friend, Matt. All right, I'm already smiling ear to ear, looking forward to talking fatherhood with my friend, Matt Drinkon. Matt, how are you today?
1: Uh, We are absolutely rocking and rolling and delighted to be here, Ned. Thank you.
0: Yes, man. I have spent, you know, uh, we were in Front Row Dads together. I've been uh, at, you know, Front Row Dad event with you, I think, four times. And the energy that you have is so incredible. What do you attribute that just show up full of energy? It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel fake. It just feels like you're in tune with something inside of you. What is that? Where does that come from?
1: I don't understand any other operating system than. Uh, why would I not show up that way? We are programmed to show up in a certain way. And I, I want to show up and play all in all the time. I want to show up and, and play a game of life that has energy, that has passion, that has enthusiasm. And I don't understand why I would not show up that way. So you ask me the question. I don't know any other way. It's just, it's such a way of being that it's just, it's it's on all the time. We don't ever push stop because that's just the way we live.
0: But that's the, so was was matt at five years old ten years old and fifteen year olds, fifteen years old showing up with that same level of i'm here to play all out i love life energy I would say that it has grown more
1: and more over time uh and even more so when I went through a growth sport I can trace this back to a very specific time in life uh for those of you who know me if you've ever seen me uh i'm I'm six foot seven uh I used to pride myself as an athlete uh you know maybe a relive the glory days from time to time now now and again but there was a time in life ned when uh i was not that athlete not the confident energetic person you might see now okay and if you trace all the way back there was a time when i was the picked on when i had the big glasses and the big buck teeth and you know i was the nerd and I would lovingly say, and and excitedly and proudly say, I'm the big nerd today. But at that time, that was not the social place that maybe people would want to be when you were picked on, and mm-hmm. and maybe the person that uh, wanted to answer and respected the teacher. And I remember that when I started to grow a little bit bigger and was better at the sports, and started to get a little bit more attention from the girls, and started to excel in areas that caused me to stand out in in a plethora of positive ways. It was at that time phase in life that I remember that it's up to somebody to stand up for those people that get picked on. It's up to somebody to lead with this positive energy, to be able to show them Mm -hmm. that there is a way. And I've always kind of felt that my, not my plot or my lot in life, my mission is to help add value to people out there that maybe aren't giving themselves a chance, that maybe don't have the strong inner voice telling them they can do it and that's what i've devoted my life to is to be able to t- teach people, coach people, lead people through hope. And you know i've always said that my i will know that i've been a successful dad when let's just say my kids graduate high school. And by the way, graduation is not a prerequisite for me being a successful dad, but let's just take a point in time. My kids are 18 and when they're 18 years old if they say in their mind daddy loves me mm-hmm. and I can do it. If their self-esteem is that strong, they believe I can do it and they know their dad loves them, I will feel that I've been a successful father when those Mm. things happen. And the same thing happens in scale with people I coach, with people in the world that may hear my podcast, with just people in general in my life, anyone out there, if they know that someone cares about them and that they can do it too, if they take anything away from this, uh, this, what you would call energy, it's that. I, I want people to know they can do it too.
0: Got it. Got it. Love it. Okay. So I'm going to jump into a few questions, but before I do, I want to just stay on this energy piece with you because I I look at you as a very uh, unique individual to be able to show up. So this growth spurt, what what age was this that this happened where all of a sudden I'm not the buck tooth uh, glasses you called nerd to now I'm excelling in sports girls notice me what age was that about?
1: Oh, great. I know exactly when it was. Uh, I had, first of all, in fifth grade, I got braces. And then I had those braces and my big teeth and my glasses and my good grades and all that. I had that for five and a half years, I had the braces. And when I got them off in the 10th grade,
0: in the 10th grade,
1: grade, and between 10th and 11th grade summer, I grew four inches in three months. Uh, I was a little bit uncoordinated, maybe a little bit lanky and, and skinny. And at that time, I remember that there was also a surge in confidence because people started to look at me a little bit differently when I got a little bit taller and bigger than everyone. And as my skills caught up and I became the top golfer and that became my sport, really the golf and the grades where I was, I was tops in the class in every school I was in, it was, it was, it was all coming together. At that so I have time. two
0: questions around this. Okay. Question number one is how did you not become a douche? Um, and because what you said is this five and a half years of, of like, you know, middle school and early high school is rough, right? So all of a sudden you show up and people mm. got respect for you, you didn't become a douche because in sixth grade is when a friend of ours, like we kind of, I just, I didn't grow up with like, like the cool clothes sixth grade. I got the, somebody, a family friend bought me cool clothes for my birthday, showed up at school. People were nice to me, but then I, you know, fell into being a dick to other kids um, because that's where I gained some value is like to make people laugh. So when this little shift for me happened, I, I became a dick. Um, uh, and luckily I grew out of that by like freshman year, maybe sooner, but how did you not become a jerk when you made this transition?
1: I love the question. how did you not become a douche? What a great question. I'm going to ask people that uh, <laughs> I'd say a couple, a couple of reasons I didn't become a douche. And by the way, opinions could vary. Some people could think I am. Uh, I certainly hope not. And at the same time, it wouldn't matter. Well, if I'll say did, your trash talk is-
0: game is is solid. Okay, your trash talk game is solid when it's competitive. But that's not douchey. That's like that's like being a dude. So, okay, how'd Fair. you not become a dick in high school? Uh, well, a couple, couple things. Uh, a and I, I owe this to strong
1: parenting from my parents. My parents. Okay, uh, I and they were great models for me. What they modeled at a, at a very high level was was family values. Uh, I did not ever get uh, physically. Like hit, they didn't, they didn't hit me. I Got some spankings from now and then, but I never got you know slapped or beat up, I never got abused in any way. Uh, mm-hmm. They never shamed me or guilted me into things. It was always, "Are you living up to the standard?" The drink on standard. So they raised me on standards and values mm. uh, out of a place of abundance, I would say, rather than a place of fear and, and shame and guilt. And, and that was strong. My mom, you know, English teacher, Southern. You know, just very, very sweet, generous, nice to everyone. Never meets a stranger in any room she ever walks into and is always asking me about uh, how I'm treating others and how that might make them feel. Because I knew what it was like to get picked on. I knew what it was like to yeah. feel that certain way. And mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't want anybody else to figure. And this kind yeah. of goes back to a very specific story. You ask, uh, why didn't I become a douche? Well, one interesting part of, of my upbringing was that my dad was in the military. And in growing up in a military family in the Air Force, we moved around a bunch. So in the time of 21 years growing up and living at home, we moved a total of 17 different times. So I lived in 17 different homes in that time. 13 of those were in different states. So if you can imagine moving so many times, the hardest challenge for me, it wasn't all those moves, but it was specifically five moves were very impactful. And the first of those five moves that was impactful was starting in the seventh grade. And I remember if you've ever seen Forrest Gump and you've seen that one episode, uh, that one scene in the bus where he gets yeah, on first day school and the kid's yeah. like, seats taken. That actually <laughs> happened to me in oh, seventh grade. Dang. And that was, can I swear? You know, I'm not going to swear. You can do whatever you want. That was fucking hard, man. That was super yeah. hard on seventh grade when I'm there. And Steve, I'm not going to say his last name, uh, but Steve, when I was there in upstate New York and I went to that new um, junior high school. When Steve, when I went to go sit at the table, it looked like it was my kind of table, the basketball players. When Steve uh-huh. said, you can't sit here, that was God very challenging it, for me in seventh yes. grade. Yes. Dude, that was hard. That was the only time <sighs> in my entire life I ever actually did sit in the bathroom in a stall for lunch. Because I was just, mm. oh, so, I don't know. That that was that was a big blow uh, to the self-confidence, self-esteem. Yeah. Damn. When I went home, uh, supportive parents. So you told your
0: parents about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what. What's what's the
1: response? Mom was very empathetic because that's her, and Dad was like, "What are you going to do about it?" Hmm. You know, and asked me to talk through it with him. And I talked through it with him. What am I going to do about it? Uh, Well, I'm not going to go and get into a fight about it because that's not going to help me where I want to be with, with grades and sports and the reputation I want. Uh, in mm. school. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm gunning for a scholarship here. We're not going to be able to afford to send me to all these schools. And I knew that in advance. So, uh, I'm, I'm all about the grades, grades and sports girls three years later, but grades and sports. Right. <laughs> so, uh, my dad talked me through it and it became anytime a bully or an adversary comes up, uh, it's okay to stand up for yourself, don't ever be the first that hits first, unless there's a crowd. And if there's a crowd, hit the bully first.
0: This is this is from your dad. That's correct. It's correct. Damn, dude. Like, okay, I just want to say something, Matt. How old are you? I'm 45 now. 45. So, so, dude, fatherhood's so freaking critical, bro. Like, I love this moment because the yeah. way your your body shifted, the way that you're telling me about your father telling you this, and just that statement: if there's a crowd, hit first. If it's a bully, just like, I just see seventh grade Matt just soaking this in from his dad. And I think, dude, you're 45 now we go like, oh, that was when I was a kid. That doesn't matter. It totally matters. Dads like the way you show up for your sons and daughters, especially middle school and high school, like your kids need you so much. And I just love that Matt. Like I see it on your face. Like, dude, this matters. And your dad was there for you, bro. And now the way you show up in life, huge credit to your parents they gave you yeah. like such great tools. So sorry, man, keep going. I just, dude, I just love how important all this is. It just is so moving to my soul.
1: I, I appreciate you pausing there. Uh, and I, am I'm, I'm not going to get emotional about it at this moment. Uh, but I, I learned so much from dad. He was my role model, my hero. I, mm. I gained so much. I gained, uh, anyone that knows me really well, if you want to know something about me, you know, that I, it's, I don't believe it's an arrogance. It's a genuine self-esteem that was instilled to me by my parents uh, that you can do it. And that was what that mm-hmm. message always was. You can do it. And if you didn't do it this time, then don't ever give up. Uh, just get better. Uh, and if you're not good enough, then you need to own it. You know. So I've, I've come from an environment, a culture in my mm-hmm. own family where there's never a victim. Uh, you're not a victim ever. Anything that happens in your world, you can own your part in how that happened. So how might you go and make it better? You know, and that was, uh, that was the situation with uh, young Steve. Uh, and by the way, the way <laughs> that played out, the way that played yeah. out uh, is that all the people around him uh, ended up actually becoming my friends, and I never really had a relationship with that person specifically. And by the way, I was only in that school for one semester anyways, before I went to a new school in eighth grade with a whole new set of challenges and opportunities. Uh, but I would say that uh, that was it. That was it, man. That was, that was that was dad training that that, that came in uh with a, with a strong self-esteem uh from the very beginning because he talked with me through these things uh and you know empowered me to uh, to think through them you know but not not back away and not blame others, but to own everything I could in every situation I could and that was to me what I aspire to do as a dad and if we go right into it, I've heard a bunch of your episodes I love this podcast. My role as a father is mm. to model for my kids one how to live our standards, how to live and, and behave to our standards that we set as drink ons. That's number one. My role as a father to three daughters mm-hmm. is to model for them how a man should treat you because, you know, with with my daughters and, and they're going to be just like me. And when I say that, uh, I don't mean like big noses and six foot seven. I mean, they're going to be <laughs> Athletic. They're already all of them are super smart. They're gonna be tall. Uh, they're gonna look like their mom, thank God. And she's hot. So they're gonna be hot, <laughs> tall, and smart. And uh, they're probably gonna be very strong entrepreneurs by the time they even get to college if they go. Uh so they're gonna be a catch. So I want to model for them how to be a strong, uh, you know, how to be a strong woman, how to accept men and men or women or whoever they, end, they end up with uh, how others should treat you and what you should tolerate or not tolerate from others. I want to model that mm. for them. Right. So those mm. are, those are a couple of things about fatherhood uh, that are important to me that I uh, show them by example.
0: Oh dude, so much. So uh, I'm going to go into like my, my stuff in a second, but I just want to pause here and go the way that you've just shared the last 10 minutes. Um, is such a testament to the father you had and like this generate and mom, but this like you're passing that down and then you're passing that down. So dads, if you're listening right now and you didn't get that the importance for you to, to take what you're hearing and, and, and learn and grow um, and then pass that to your kids, like your kids are going to show up in life differently. And then their kids will show up in life differently. And I'll just say like, so 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 Matt, Matt and I are both in this group called Front Row Dads and it's family men with businesses not business men with families and the very first time I showed up you know struggling with my confidence you know v- being very comparison uh compare you know comparing myself because there's this like insecurity there um <clears throat> for various reasons which I which I'm growing in but but Matt Matt showing up to that same group and you've got tons of really successful dudes in there Matt shows up in a way like damn I want to show up like that and it's, it's how we model this to our kids and how they will show up. So now I'm owning, like I've been talking to my kids about my insecurities lately so that they can get over it now. And, and Matt, you made a statement, dude, which I know you got from your parents. You said, I went to eighth grade and that was full of its own challenges and opportunities. Like, dude, well, yeah. those, those two words right there. Most of us will go oh, and that. And I went to eighth grade. I moved again, you know, one of the 13 times and that had its own challenges but you you added in opportunities, which is like a total of freaking different way to look at it. And I value that. And I know the importance that you and I have as fathers to pass that to our kids um, is just super deep. So I love that, bro. So before I go into my questions, anything to say on that? I just really wanted to point that out.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I would say that it kind of goes back to the core values that uh, a mutual friend of ours from the Front Row Dads, uh, Jeff Woods, helped me to mm. uh, figure out uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, when we did the exercise, uh, you know, the, um, there's the one thing core values cards. We did that exercise mm-hmm. and I ended up doing the exercise with Julie. And what it is, it's a, it's a deck of cards, like 150 cards, You lay them all out on, uh, on your bed and you just go through one at a time in a process of elimination. What are your top three or four values? And my top three or four values, I was able to actually get down and, and share what the four of them are. Uh, and the four of them are, uh, gratitude, optimism, love, and self-discipline. You know, and those go way, 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 way back. Uh, I'd say the optimism and the gratitude part uh, goes way back. Uh, And if we go even deeper into it, uh, we grew up incredibly poor. Uh, My mom's side, uh, you know, welfare, you know, like you shared your story. Well, my mom's side was incredibly poor, like, Hmm. like lower than poor, 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 poor. poor, Right. And uh, all kinds of opportunities and and abuse and challenges there. And then dad's side, uh, they were, were, Money poor, but they lived on a farm, so they had resources on a farm. They never had a lot of money, right? Uh, but all of these, you know, ended up being uh, love rich. You know, money poor but love mm. rich. My dad had a strong sense of love from his brothers, his mother and father, uh, and then my mom has her brothers and sister and her mother, uh, and you know, uh, her step stepfather, her third father. Right, so a lot of uh, a lot of love. So they grew up in in places where people cared for them, but not with money. Mm. Right, so finding out these values you know, was was super important. So when I I figured out these values and figured out the values of my wife and and, and put them all together, that's where the optimism I was able to say it out loud. But it, it grew from a place of uh, gratitude for all the things that we have uh, mm-hmm. and believing yourself, which I learned from my parents. That's that's kind of yeah. where it all started, is back there. If
0: you can point back to your parents growing up. <clears throat> Did they have parents that were, you know, you said um, broke as far as finances go, but mm-hmm. a lot of love. Um, did their parents set them up for success as far as family and, and some of the values that you have today? I'd say that my
1: dad's side, uh, they're from the north. Uh, you know, they immigrated in the United States, 1848, that side of the family did. And they grew up in one small town in Michigan. They were always in that town. Uh, my dad and his brothers, they all ended up uh, moving to different parts around the country, but they grew Mm -hmm. up in a place where they grew up in the, you know, in the forties, they, they grew up with tough love, uh, a homemaker mom, the dad worked all the time and it was tough love and it was love uh -hmm. you know they they didn't get uh you know didn't get hit or verbally abused they did get an earful though when they didn't do what they're supposed to do so it's just love like you saw there you know strong patriotic family on the dad's side mom's side was a different story uh her mom was a hard worker she was a single mom she had Mm. uh, you know five kids uh you know abuse of all kinds and you know she ended up not with that uh her, her biological father not in her life at all ever um second dad not in a life ever and the third dad is the one i call granddad on my mom's mm. side um they had love they didn't they didn't have money and they didn't have a stable place to live really and her mom always worked three jobs and her mom was the first one to go to college she did it while working three jobs in a night shift um she ended up graduating from university of alabama back in the day so anyway look at it uh, they grew up in financially different places and you uh, know from religiously different places and from socioeconomically different places, you know, and from different places of love, but all of it put together high empathy, mom and a high structure dad and uh, strong, they were always married and strong self-esteem for me. They, they, they united mm. around me very well. So I'm, mm, I'm beautiful. I hit the lottery, man. I, I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah. I admit, I'm, I'm totally lucky here. My parents, uh, they were, they were very loving. They were very loving. And I never would have known, uh, anything, Financially, we, I never had the name brand stuff. We had got all my clothes at the thrift shop, uh, you know, and I would say that uh, what we valued was treating people right, kindness, uh, the optimism, and seeing uh, the positive in the moment. And, uh, you know, do the best that you possibly can with great work ethic. And those are the things that they taught me most importantly, and my values have evolved since then. So. Yes. uh
0: ah. Man, beautiful. So cool that you know you know about your history as well. Um, thank you for sharing all that about them. Kudos to your parents for being incredible and loving you well and, and teaching you. And now you're doing it for your kids. So a <clears throat> couple quick questions. So 45, three daughters. How many years have you been married?
1: Uh, so have been married for eight years. Julie and I, uh, we met uh, on March 9th, 2012, when I accidentally... Uh, stepped on her at a business networking event because uh, I'm tall and I turned <laughs> around and uh, she's not as tall. So I turned around, and stepped on her. And then I looked down and saw that she's like just a bombshell, incredibly hot and smart. And I was way outclassed and still am. And she uh, instantly like love at first sight. Well, I was smitten at first sight. And I, yeah. I, I, of course, I'm pretty smooth with ladies. So I had some good lines there. My first line was, <laughs> hey, uh, would you uh, like to switch spots with me so you can see the, um, the speaker and I'm not standing in front of you? And uh, she said, no, I'm good back here. So I proceeded like uh, the smooth, suave guy that I am to ask that same question two more times to get uh, no two more times. <laughs> and then she said to me, uh, uh-uh. I will switch spots with you if you quit talking to me and asking me that question. <laughs> uh and I said, okay, deal. And we switched spots. And then my side of the story is as soon as the speaker was done, she came up to me and said, Hey, can I buy you a drink? Uh and at which point uh I accepted. We had a Heineken. And then um you know the rest is history. Cause uh, after that uh, point uh we were together for most of the time since then. So mm, here we are.
0: Eight years love married. It. <laughs> love it. Eight years married. That's killer man. Um. All right, real quick, in 30 seconds or less, what is it that you do for a living?
1: <clears throat> Great question. I would say that I help leaders think through the questions they ask themselves and then take action on them. Mm. Now, I, I, the, the cheesy response, I'm an executive business coach. Uh, my quirky response might be that I coach highly functioning workaholics and recovering perfectionists to keep things simple in their business. Uh, um, basically, I just help people ask questions and then hold them accountable to take an action. And as a result of that, people um, they retain their teams a lot more, and they grow their businesses, and everyone's happy. And uh, I got a thriving coaching business, but that's that's it.
0: Yeah, man. I, I was just on your podcast, and and people can hear it in your voice is is your optimism. You've used the word you've used the word a few times, um, but what I really value about what I what I hear from you, what I see. Is this optimism um, and and probably grace, but tons of action, right? I'm not going to fluff you and make you feel all warm and cozy for not showing up and doing your effing job. Like you said, you were going to do this. Do it. We both know you can. So let's let's make this happen. And so I love that about you. That combination of of optimism, packed with action right? Because sometimes you'll be like the the optimist who's just like, oh, everything's so great all the time, but nothing happens, right? It's just all kind of like unicorns and rainbows. And what I sense from you is that the people that you work with take massive action um, because this formula you've created, and it's your personality, right? It's just who you are. Like when I asked you at the beginning, how do you show up like this? You're like, I, I don't like, you're asking me how I breathe, right? Yeah. It's just what I do. Yeah. So dude, kudos to what you're doing in, in your podcast, the way that you are helping people to think through, um, life is is truly incredible. So kudos to that because I know you're making big impact with that. Um, Brother. I sure have you. a new, yeah, man, I have a new question and I want to ask that. I want to ask you, when did you fall in love with fatherhood? Think back to, you know, when you had your girls, at what point did you fall in love with fatherhood, with the adventure of fatherhood? I can tell you an exact
1: moment where something happened. Uh, I remember Mm. that up until, uh, May 4th, 2015, I had cried, I think two, two times in my life. And that doesn't count uh, being a little kid. Uh, Mm -hmm. everyone cries when a little baby, uh, But the two times I remember crying were number one, when my dad's mom passed away, Hmm. he came back from the war. He was overseas at that time and he came back for the funeral and I saw him cry. So I cried at her funeral. And then when he died, okay, I cried. And this- When your dad passed. When he passed. Now, Hmm. interestingly enough, Ned, we're talking right now on the day after Memorial Day 2022, and mm-hmm. my dad passed away on the day after Memorial Day in 2005. So 17 years wow. ago today is the anniversary of his passing. And anyway, those are the two times that I that I cried. And you ask when did I realize that I was that I fell in love with fatherhood? It was the next time that I cried in my life. Mm. Um, and I don't mean when I. Watched the movie Rudy and saw him make a tackle at the end because that's a yeah. different kind of cry. Uh, I mean, when I cried out of pure uncontrollable, unexplainable emotion, that was just overpowering. And that was the moment that Lily was born uh, on May 4th, 2015. When we just had that 23 and a half hour labor. Thank you, Julie, you are amazing. And I love you. And oh my God, I'm so in awe of you. After 23 and a half hours of labor, we had, uh, Lily, and the moment that she was born in the world, I literally could not speak and started Mm. to cry. Uh, and I, I, it happened again with Lucy year and a half later. And it happened again with Caroline. Uh, and, uh, just those, those moments, those are the times that I cried. And those are the times the emotion was so, uh, so amazing that I just, I did not know how to respond. I knew at that moment that maybe some things that I had done in my life that, uh, Let's just say, for example, like smoking cigarettes. Uh, there was a time in life that uh, you know I would go out on a Friday and Saturday night and, and have a few drinks. And maybe at that time, under the influence of a couple drinks, smoke. Uh, yeah. I knew at that time that my kids aren't ever going to see me smoke. Uh, I'm, not, I'm a non-smoker. Mm. Uh, I knew at that time that happened. I knew at that time uh, that there was not going to be any uh, drinking and driving. I knew at that time there was not going to be uh, anything that they'd ever see me uh, hit. Uh, any person unless it was totally out of self-defense. I, I knew at that mm-hmm. time certain things that happened in life uh, that I'm now a grown-up. In my mind, there's there's no going back now. I'm in the game. Mm. Totally different mindset shift. It's like life before marriage is one thing. Life before kids uh, is another thing. And now life with a wife and kids, there's a whole new standard that I owe it to them to show up as the best me that I can possibly be forever. And there's no day off and there's no breaks. And if I do F up patience and grace for myself, that's a big part of it, mm-hmm. right? We've got to have some patience and grace for ourselves for ourselves sometimes uh, because we try to maintain and sometimes we just aren't perfect. And sometimes we give in and that's that's okay. We got to have patience and grace for ourselves. But I knew at that moment when I cried, when my kids were born, that there was a new standard. I was already on a high standard well, now yeah, I'm sure uh, that standard is <laughs> is is way up here in the stratosphere. You know, and if I may transition uh, why I'm in the front row dads, you know, and I always want to trumpet the, the front row dads as much as I can because I love this group. Yeah, it's, it's really it's empowered me to, to evolve. When I joined the front row dads, we have the name. We are family men with businesses. How many times did I slip up three years ago when I joined and said, I'm a businessman with a family? Oh, hmm. Wait a second. I'm a family man with a business because I knew one speed in business and it was go and it was go all the time. And it was whenever I'm done working, that's when other stuff happens in life. And how many times as a parent, as a dad, do we wake up, we go and we focus on our job, we get home and whatever's left in the tank, that's what they get. Yeah. And that is unacceptable. You mm. know, and that's when the patience and grace has to happen for Matt, myself, and for any of your listeners, because this is this is the place where it's taken me having to learn over and over and over again, Ned, that I have I have failed over and over and over again. But true failure is only when you quit. and You don't start trying. You know, so I continue to try and continue to improve and improve and improve to the point where now in the morning the kids get priority I've now uh, I start my day mm. two and a half hours later. My work day is now starts two and a half hours later than it used to start. My work day now ends a few hours sooner than it used to end. Now I don't work ever on Saturdays and Sundays. You know, there are so many things that took time to, to work into as I shifted the mindset. It truly is a family man with a business now. And the priorities and the calendar reflect that. Thanks to a lot of coaching and feedback from our brothers in the front row dads. So that's my front row oh. dads. I love them.
0: Yes, yes, and I just love how you how you have implemented um, that shift in your calendar. Um, you know, because it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing again to take to take action and transition a life. How did you? And this is a personal question. How did you untie yourself from the the high, the accolade of of being a performance driven, go 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 to slow it down a bit and, and, and I guess maybe just squeeze the parameters, right? You're probably still go time from, you know, whatever time you start to end, but you've untied yourself. So at the beginning of your day and the end of your day, it sounds like that's not mentally running your mind. Right. It's wow. Uh, where do we start with this one?
1: We'll start with, with this thought that working on yourself, working on your game, working on your business, working on, being a dad, it's an ongoing mm-hmm. process. And mm-hmm. I think Tony Robbins said it, that we often overestimate what we can do in a day or a month, but we underestimate what we can do in a year or, mm-hmm. or we overestimate what we can do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in a decade. You know, so I tend to look at this as a timeline with patience and grace for myself. I get a little bit better each and every single day and because I view it as a timeline and not just immediate instant gratification I'm willing to put in the reps and put in the work
0: knowing Mm -hmm. that over
1: time with consistent uh, work every day I'm going to improve at something when I put my attention and energy into it example you know Jim Rohn said many times uh it's not uh you know an apple a day keeps the doctor away. You can't eat 365 apples on December 31st and be healthy. You've got to eat that apple (laughs) every day. And it's not a chocolate bar a day. Uh, It's an apple a day. So my apple a day and full credit, my friend and front row dad, Matt King, he gave me a book in July 2015 from another front row dad named Hal Elrod. And the book was The Miracle Morning. And starting yeah. at or around July 22nd in 2015, I've started to practice The Miracle Morning. And I've done that practice over 98% of the days since that late July 2015 date. And that includes every single morning journaling. And by the way, you've helped out a tremendous amount with your journaling advice. Mm, uh, thank you. One of the retreats we had in Texas some time ago, amazing, right? So journaling every morning and reading every morning. you know. So you ask, how do you do that i'd say compartmentalizing it you know being able to set boundaries around it my wife turned me on to ryan holidays book the obstacle is the way and ego is mm. the enemy so that stoic philosophy that i hear teased out through him and tim ferris uh, i'm i'm a big fan of that stoicism and big fan of patience and grace for self you know i'm betting on myself over the long term And I know that when I simply take one action every single day, for me, it's a miracle morning. It's about 60 to 90 minutes every morning. I know that that is what has contributed so much to me being able to make the shift from go all the time and work to now all the time family and work gets what's left. And when I say gets what's left, there's plenty in the tank because everything that we've constructed around to, to make sure that we're good at the family. There's yes. no there's no substitute for being great at work. You know, I've got to be even greater at the family. And to do that, you know, it's it's Wim Hof and the Iceman breathing and cold showers, all that fun stuff. You know, it's it's exercise, it's accountability groups like the front row dads, uh like the tribe of investors with Justin Donald and Eric Van Horn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's being able to be a part of accountability support groups that really keep me going. My front row dad's band, you know, Ali Jafari and Matt Sprang and Nick Hemmert. They're amazing. Uh, I'm in a part of the exchange community with John Berghoff and Jeremy Reisig and, and Adair Cates. That group is amazing. All of these are my teachers, my accountability partners, you know, that keep me on track.
0: Right. Oh, man. So I have a, I have a question for you. And then I want to point something out. So you said I, I do it 98 percent of the time. Is that just like an estimate or do you track this? Of course I track it. I'm I'm kind of a statistical nerd, so uh, (laughs) I've been tracking it, you know,
1: for the past almost seven years. Yeah.
0: Yeah, bro. So here's what I want to say. Like, I think when people hear conversations like this sometimes, or they're like, oh, miracle morning, or, oh, this guy, it must be nice. He designed his life this way. Like whatever BS, whoever's listening to this is like stating in their head so that they don't have to show up and do the work. Like I have a dashboard that you would look at and think I'm a crazy person. Uh, I have a dashboard in Excel, Google Sheets, and I track every freaking thing you could probably think of. I track it because I want to know where I'm improving and where I'm not. Like if if I say I'm a really great dad to Brooklyn, and I go back, I could tell you like how much intentional time I spent with her last month. And so I bring this up not to say, oh wow, that's intense, or how whatever you think I'm a lunatic or you like it. I'm bringing it up because the way you hear Matt talk, it's it's like. It's not just this. I read a book and it's kind of smoke and mirrors and I got lucky. It's I do the work every freaking day. And, and there are a lot of days I, like he said, I may fail, but I have grace for myself. And it's not a failure if I didn't learn from it. And so I just wrote for Matt on my, my notes here, learn action, learn action, learn action. And you do that over and over and over and you track it. Like you, whatever metrics you want to track, you track it. And if you track, dude, if you track crazy stuff like, how good is the sex with your wife? And and how are you showing up for her? How many dates did you take her on? Uh, 10.1 you know,
1: like... on a 10.0 scale. And yes, often. See, and that's why I'm so young.
0: That's what I'm talking. Yes. It's like, guys don't realize the things that you can track. If you're paying attention to this, it will grow. It will get better. And that's the stuff that Matt and I are doing. And that's what a lot of people you hear that are, are having this sort of sense of self and growth and whatever they're doing work at 5 a.m. or 10 p.m. at night that you wouldn't think they're doing like a lot of times we glorify the the big victories but there's a lot of dominoes every day so dude i just you said 98 and i'm like i know this guy tracks this so might as well talk about it um <laughs> anything you want to say we could talk forever before I, I move on to my next question
1: oh yeah and i could talk forever too so stop me when you need to but i would i would add this that uh to do any of this, it's not just to do something. It's all towards the vision. It's all towards something. When I interviewed you on my podcast, you were super clear on the role model you wanted to be on what Mm -hmm. your vision and mission in life is. And I am incredibly clear on this. And it's not because I was just born lucky to know why things are important and and what's important to me. It's because literally like I learned when I read Tim Ferriss's book, tools, of Titans and Mm -hmm. he interviewed Damon John, the shark founder of FUBU. And he asked him, what are some of his best practices? And what Damon John said is that every day when he goes to bed on his nightstand, he has his goals and he reads them and he updates them every six months. You know, every night before I go to bed, I read the goals every morning. When I wake up, I read them as part of my miracle morning. Uh, and if there were any one tiny tweak to my routine that really empowered me to take my game to the next level, it was being hyper clear and focused on what matters most and understanding why that matters to me. And I get that every day by reading it. If I didn't read that, it would be easy to get distracted by an email inbox. It would be easy mm-hmm. to get distracted by the next big fire drill or as we call it in the coaching business, the shiny object syndrome. It would be very yeah. easy to get distracted. Uh but because I read this every single day, we are hyper focused on it. In fact, I'd love to show this to you. Yeah, baby, uh, let's see it. This is uh this is I know this is a fatherhood podcast, but I will tell you what, Dude, one thing about life. being a great dad For my daughters is I want to uh, model for them how men should treat them, Mm -hmm. what they should tolerate from men and what they should not tolerate. So I don't think there's any better way to do that than to uh, do this by living it with my wife, Julie. So I have here on the screen, I have my marriage affirmation um, that I wrote about three years ago, and I read it out loud every morning. And I was actually reading it to Julie this morning, and I realized that she's never actually seen the laminated copy of my marriage affirmation. So I, I read it to her and I'll take 33 seconds and read it to you now. Uh, oh, this is gold. Yes, My number one objective in my marriage is to selflessly love, support and uplift my wife, Julie. Every single day, regardless of how she's feeling or acting or doing, I will do the little things to serve her. I will pay quality time and pay it forward. I will love her unconditionally and strive to always be a better listener a more patient and understanding man and to be her rock to lean on for me Mm. to be the best husband. I need to be the most caring me. Patience, understanding, love, listening, reassuring and positive reinforcement will be my tools. We'll live a legendary life together and I must be at my best to make her dreams come true. I'll work Mm. hard. I'll pay attention. I'll offer support and I'll do it all because I love her. That's the marriage affirmation I wrote three years ago after I read Hal's book with Brandy and Lance Salazar, The Miracle Morning for Couples. And uh, it's something I read every morning. So I'm committed to her, even when she shows up the way that... I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Ned. Sometimes uh my wife can just show up in a way that is... uh I might, I might misunderstand her. To put it <laughs> um, I'm
0: like, okay, like your, your, your brain's working fast to think of the right words to say right here.
1: She <laughs> might show up in a way that uh, there's confusing to me, or
0: it might not make <laughs> yeah. sense
1: to me. And that's okay. That's totally yeah. okay. I have patience and love towards that. Oh my God. Lo- she just showed up at home when she's actually, I didn't know she was home. She just showed up. She's over there looking at me right now. Oh, she's like, she's, she's, she's got the look, always looking, always judging, look at the baby, look at the baby. <laughs> Um, that was a little little scene from old school, but yeah, she's, um, yeah, she's amazing. (laughs) I love her. And yeah, she's amazing. Mm. Best thing ever happened to me,
0: Mm. Matt, dude, such gold, man, such gold, what you're sharing and, and dudes, if you're listening to this right now, and this is like somewhat foreign to you, uh, somebody asked me recently, Matt, they're like, why do you even write goals down? Aren't you disappointed at the end of the year when you don't like reach them? And i and I said, "No, like the only way I know which way I'm headed is if I have a goal. The goal isn't necessarily about reaching it every time because a lot of times on my way to the goal, I learned something, and the goal shifted or grew or changed, so you know, I just want to encourage you, dudes, like oh, I don't know how to write an affirmation, just write something down about how you want to love your wife. well, I don't really know." What a goal would be. Just write something down and take some action towards it. It's probably going to shift. Like the the things that Matt's talking about is years, days, years, months, you know, decades of working towards this. And and what you hear today is, is many years of building upon this mindset. And all of us have what it takes. We have what it takes. And that's, dude, if you were put in a family with a wife and kids, you, you have the tools. Mm-hmm. You might need to sharpen them. Mm-hmm. You might need to go gain a few more skills, but you have what it takes to be mm-hmm. speaking with clarity the way that Matt is. But the only way it happens is if you go after it and the world is in desperate need of fathers who are leading. Mm-hmm. And it, it matters because like my son's going to get married one day and, and, and the way that Matt's raising his daughters, I would want my son to marry his daughters, right? So it matters. the. W- and then Matt's got to look at the way I'm raising Brody and go, is that the kind of man that I would want to marry my daughter? So it matters a great deal to Matt, how I'm showing up as a father for our right. kids to have great success down the road. It's like the the way we show up is is having huge impact on our generations. Um, Matt. Dude, this is big time, man. I love this conversation. I'm going to shift into something. You know, this podcast is called it's it's Fatherhood Field Notes and you're doing it. I mean, dude, reading your affirmation of how you love your wife and I'll oh, just talk about such like personal things that the moment you cried when your daughters were born like it's, it's I just one of the greatest I just got to bring up is you seeing your father crying it moving you like that connection is rich bro so rich yeah so the mantra behind this podcast is rebel and create right like as a man i am a warrior i want to go fight i want to fight for something so when you think about this what are you rebelling against what is your fight against and then out of that not just to tear something down but what do you want to create out of that so what are you rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that rebellion
1: I'm rebelling, and and thank you for sharing this question. I've been thinking about this one in advance. And and what I'm rebelling against is the status quo that you have to accept things the way they are. Hmm. I'm rebelling against the victimhood mentality. I'm rebelling against anything and everything that says that you cannot change it. You are uh, your past. You are... You know, your environment. No, I don't believe that. I believe you can create an exciting and glorious future any way you darn well choose to. Mm. Uh, it does take believing in yourself, it does take having some action around it. You now, and if anyone is hearing this and feeling like, man, this is, this sounds great and that sounds perfect and it's easy for them to do it, that guy sounds like, man, he's, it's really easy for him. Let me give you an example of, you know, my humanity and the challenges for me. There was a time five years ago uh, when I was working just like I am right now. I was talking to someone over uh, a Zoom interview and, you know, I would hear a baby in the background crying, my newborn. And there was a time when I would mute and I would yell uh, to stop, stop crying. Like, like me yelling at a newborn child was going to convince that child to stop yelling. It didn't stop crying. It didn't make any sense Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, And so I was a yeller. I wasn't a shamer. I wasn't a hitter. Uh, You know, I was a yeller. And I think that one of the greatest um, opportunities for grace with myself. And if there's a point where I might break down and be emotional about it, it's there was an 18 month period where I, I yelled and, For some of us, there may be a much longer period we've had, uh, you know, a deficiency or a flaw or something that we may be ashamed of. Well, you know what? Mm. There's no better time than now to own that, Mm -hmm. we're human and we had some challenges and we can make one step at a time, one day at a time progress towards the desired life, towards the ideal way of doing it uh, by coming to terms with it. So I came to terms with it. I'm a yeller. And I decided that I want to live in a yell-free home. And Hmm. it took me about three and a half years of practice. And we're not perfect. And right now, if I had a child that ran the street, then by the way, I would yell the top of my lungs, get out of the street. (laughs) Right? But when it comes to yelling, like, for example, I can hear going on upstairs right now, there is a battle with my three and five-year-old happening right now. (laughs) There may have been a time when I would get up there and feel that exerting my large manly presence and Mm -hmm. yelling would be the way to stop it. And now I'm not going to yell. I'm going to approach it with a little different mentality.
0: Mm. So
1: I'm rebelling against uh, the way things should be the way things that, you know, victims might think. And I'm taking a proactive offense in life. Let's create it. Let's let's see the way we want to design things and learn how step by step to remove some of those flaws or deficiencies. If we feel fit to do that and let's play a strong offense in life towards who we want to be, who you want to mm. become, you know, playing offense. You know, I often coach clients on the idea of playing offense and defense for myself I want to play a strong offense for dads, for my daughters, you know, for my marriage, for humanity, and that starts with me showing up every single morning for my miracle morning. It starts with me mm-hmm. owning me every single day, and that's the only thing I can do is own what I can control. That's my own actions and mindset. I don't know if you forget <sighs> the question you asked, but
0: uh, I don't know. We we got here somehow. <laughs> yeah, rebel and create, um, yes. and. And two things, I mean, um, I want you to expand on the offense in just a minute, but something I really want to just reiterate for dudes to hear is if there's something you don't like about the way that you're showing up, like Matt didn't like the yelling. And then he made a, you know, he's just telling us about it. And he says, I practiced for three and a half years. So if you are a dad right now, and you're like, I do X and I don't like X. If at the end of the week, You're like, ah, I did X again. And you shame yourself into feeling like a piece of crap and you can never change because my dad was a yeller and his dad was a yeller. Whatever lie you tell yourself, you are telling yourself a story. And so what's the story you're telling yourself? So shift it. And, you know, Matt's was, I'm going to live in a yell free house. And then three and a half years later, and then there's probably the occasional we messed up and we yelled or whatever the thing is. And you have grace and you go, man, I'm way better than I was. And I sh- I've shared this before. And I'll just say, when I first got married, 21, I'd punch the wall and cuss. Then I moved to just cussing. So then now I don't cuss in a fight anymore. Most of the time.
1: <laughs> so uh, huh. the
0: the point though, is it's this progression of like, who am I becoming? So I just, I wanted to point that out that it was three and a half years and it was practice. And and that is is worth the fight, right? It's worth putting the effort in to become the man that you feel good about. And then there'll mm-hmm. be something new, something new, something new. So Matt, before I ask my last question, is there anything else you could expand upon in the playing offense to help dudes to play offense and stop playing defense?
1: Yes, I'd say a major challenge i've i've seen a lot of high performers and maybe dads in general maybe people in general big challenge is this fear of the judgment of others hmm. the fear of the opinions of other people it's a real thing and, and i can see it because i see it all the time and i i would i would offer this a friend of ours uh, named john roman wrote a book and it was called the front row factor and he had a quote in that book that I always remember. And the quote was something along the lines of, don't let people in the nosebleed section have a front row opinion in your life. Uh, and uh, yes, I think about that all the time because a lot of what may stop us as dads from taking a stand or stop us as humans from making a change is the fear of the judgment of other people. And I've faced some judgment when I decided to go home early or decline the invitation to go out or insert your own circumstance into it uh, because I chose to go and enjoy being a dad uh, or face some judgment from, uh, let's say a social circle when I chose to run an entrepreneurial business. And yet some of the things and the the excuses I hear people make, well, I'm always broke. Well, I don't have any time for this. Well, that's BS. That's not owning your situation. That's not saying that what I really want is this. I want this time. I want this money. And to have those things that you want require living a certain lifestyle. And to get to that lifestyle requires discipline. To get to that lifestyle requires taking action. You know, and it requires being highly aware of what might be holding you back right now. So you, you, you asked the question, and I think that a lot of us play defense because we are afraid of the judgment of others. And that keeps us with the masses, keeps the masses. So that'd be my thought about playing defense is that we don't want to be seen as different. Uh, and when you lose that fear, shed that, that idea that it's bad to be different, Hey man, I love being different. I get to hang out with people like you and the other front row dads mm-hmm. who love being a dad, uh, who love running successful businesses, You know, who love being masters of their time, who can take vacations when and where we want. You know, I love being a part of that group and I I know there's discipline required to be there and I'm <laughs> happy to pay that price in advance. And if today's my last day on earth and God willing, it's not. If it is, I know that I gave it my best shot and was a loving father and a loving husband and hopefully... Uh, my kids believe in themselves and my wife knows that she was loved.
0: Oh, so, that's it. Matt, you, you are truly incredible, man. Um, I just, I'm feeling very grateful. Just this mm-hmm. conversation, just time spent with you. <clears throat> I feel good about myself. I feel good about the conversation. I just have this, just. I don't know, just a great connection. I love the way that you've approached life. I love the way you show up, the way you love your wife, your kids. It's making a huge difference in the world. Even if you weren't doing your podcast and you weren't a coach, you were, you were, you know, whatever you were doing, I know that you'd be having massive impact on people just by showing up every day. So keep being yourself, man. Keep, keep loving your wife and kids the way that you are. It's truly incredible. Um, what you're doing and the way you're doing it. So, uh, much Thank appreciation. You, I, I appreciate you and, and shout
1: out to you. I would say that you are one of those people that when I'm around you and I look at you, when I experience what it's like to be your friend and be around you at retreats or whenever I'm around you, you are what I would call an energy enhancer. You know, mm. there's energy enhancers and there's energy vampires, you know, and we all know what a vampire is. It's the person that just sucks mm-hmm. the life out of you and you don't want to be around that person. Uh, and then there's energy enhancers, people that when you're around them, you always feel a little bit better about yourself. Can't wait to be around them that you, you always smile when you're around them and you are hundred percent one of those people. You know, you're one of my people, the people that, mm. you know, you, you pour into people and you pour into your values, you know, and it just so happens that we have similar values that. around being, you're welcome, man, because I love you, man. You're, you're a great influence on me. So I think it's kind of that circle. Uh, circle of life or that karma when you selectively choose the people that you want to be around after seeking a lot and finding a lot of people yeah you're one of the people that i want to be around because i get a lot of energy mm. from you mm. I don't, you share that i give it to you but you really give it to me so i i appreciate that about you
0: yeah love that dude thank you that means a lot to me um all right here's my last question for you matt great legacy question Imagine 30 years from now, you're standing out in a cul-de-sac, peering into the homes of your daughters. What is it that you see being played out in their lives? And you know, the way that you showed up as a father, you know, let's just say that they were on a podcast. I'm going to shift this for you because the way that you spoke about your parents, say your daughters are being interviewed about life. What are they going to say about their dad? Like, And that's your legacy. If you were listening in or watching in on what they'd say or their actions, what do you see being played out in their lives?
1: I'm envisioning a very specific scene from a movie right Mm. now. There was a movie five years ago with Hugh Jackman called The Greatest Show. And the very last scene in that movie was Hugh Jackman and his wife i believe her name was michelle williams if i'm not mistaken they're sitting there watching their seven-year-old daughter do a dance recital and they've come to the realization that this is what life is all about it's about experiencing this joy of being parents and seeing your kids give it their best uh and knowing that their kids are taking a risk that they the kids know that you believed in them so they believe in themselves enough to give it a shot. And in response to your question, what do I see? I see, God willing, I make it that, that time. If I'm alive in 30 years and my kids are in their 30s, then maybe their parents. And maybe when their mm-hmm. parents, they are pouring into their children uh, optimism and love and gratitude and teaching their kids to believe in themselves. And that's Mm. what may be a positive, successful legacy uh, is that our family line grows up believing in themselves and having these strong values and really genuinely wants to make an impact in the world for the better. Mm.
0: Ah, so beautiful. So beautiful. Matt, thank you so much for your time today, setting aside time. Thank you for being on here. Again, thank you for the man, father, husband, friend, human being you are. Keep doing Mm. what you're doing. And I look forward to more great conversations with you over the years. Uh, So dude, thanks for being on the show with me.
1: Dude. Absolute pleasure. I loved it. And uh, can I shamelessly plug my podcast here for a moment? Anything Uh,
0: you want, pump it out there.
1: (laughs) My podcast is the eternal optimist podcast where we have a message of hope. We have a message Mm -hmm. of, You can do it too. And I interview successful people and success means a bunch of things, but I've interviewed Ned to give you an example, successful fathers, people that are clear in their vision. They can be business people, parents, people in their community, but I interview successful people and I ask them about their greatest challenges and those who are willing to share their challenges. They open up and they share the hard stuff and the lessons they've learned. And then they share what they're creating. And my mission Mm -hmm. is to take that podcast and help serve every person. Imagine when every person in the world believes in themselves and they can take future positive, proactive steps forward, that would be an amazing world to live in. And I aspire that we can all live in that world. So the Eternal Optimist podcast is the show. Uh, and uh, you know, feel free to catch me anywhere. My name's pretty unique. So just look me up anywhere and you'll, you'll find me every social media channel you can.
0: Yep, and in the show notes, we'll link your podcast, we'll link your social media sites and website. Uh, Matt, thank you so much, brother. Until next time.
1: Yes, brother. Thanks, man.
0: I love this guy. Another incredible conversation. I get so much life out of this. I hope you do too. One of my favorite moments was when he shared about the day he saw his dad cry. It just meant so much to hear that and him know the date and the story. It meant a lot to me. My friends, Matt lives a life of confidence because he has done the work to know who he is and what his core values are. And then he lives out of those. He has clarity on what his life is going to look like, what his day is going to look like, because he's taking the time to think, who am I and what are the values that matter to me? And then he takes Daily action around those. And like I said in the opener about living an optimistic life, he's not focused on himself. He's not playing defense all the time, protecting himself with his ego. He is adding value, loving, and listening to those around him. I know I want this, and I'm sure you want that too. So let's learn to live a life of optimism like Matt through focusing on adding value, loving, listening to those around us versus regularly, constantly living a life of defense from a place of protection and inward focus. Uh, My friends, I want to say an enormous thank you uh, for helping to fund, promote the Adventure of Fatherhood children's book. we Funded it around Father's Day. I'm still just on cloud nine thinking about it. Everyone coming together, supporting, bringing this thing to life. It is going to change the world. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go to adventurefatherhood.com. We're putting out a children's book that is going to do massive, massive things. The book will be out January, February 2023, but you could still pre-order copies. We've already uh, had over 600 pre-orders, which is so amazing. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood. Field notes, podcast: what you do matters. Don't be like everybody else, be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Net Shout, together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. If you have a question about fatherhood, something you'd like to hear me talk about on here, a great guest idea, shoot me an email, ned at rebellingcreate.com. Please write a review if you haven't already. Go follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Stay in tune with what we're up to. And I look forward to hanging out with you next time.